Hi, this is Eddie Markham, pastor of River of Life Church, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for taking the time and listening to our podcast. Hopefully you're going to be inspired and impacted by our message today. I also want to let you know what's going on here at River of Life. God has just been blessing us, and we have outgrown our facility, and the time has come for us to get into a new building. We need to get into a bigger building. So we have kicked off a building campaign this year, and we are moving forward, and God is blessing it. So we are reaching out to you, our podcast listening audience, and just want to encourage you that if you would like to participate and make a donation into our building fund, please head over to our website. It's www.rol-ag.com. And right on the homepage there is a little donate button. Click on that, follow the instructions, and just sow your seeds, sow into this ministry, and help us make this happen. I want to say thank you in advance, and I pray God continue to bless you and impact your life as you listen to the ministry at River of Life. I want to do a little mini-series here for the next couple of weeks in John chapter 6. Uh, so if you got your Bibles, you could go over there to John chapter 6, and we're going to go through that. But uh, let me just say the men did, did a great job. We got some rain came our way yesterday, so we had to tarp up the roof, and, and uh, but they hung out there all day. And I, I don't want to name names because there was probably 10 guys at least each day, something like that. Some came for a few hours, some came for half the day, some came for all day. But I just want to say again from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And I pray a blessing on, on you, every one of you guys that came out. And uh, we fed you with some food and some, pe- and some all kind of food. Miranda even handed out some essential oils to rub on your sore muscles today. She had little packets ready to give you guys. And uh, let me just say thank you for blessing the man of God. Jesus said whenever you bless a man of God like that, you receive the gift of a righteous man. And I, I do pray that upon your lives. And, and many gave financially even to pay the cost of the roof. I want to thank you for that as well. I mean, this is just awesome. I'm just blown away this morning. Thank you so much for that. And um, so uh, let's get into the word today. I I do wanted to, this is a little mini series that I'm going to call from, I'm going to name from the crowd to the crown is what I'm going to call this. Some things have been in my heart about finishing strong. And and I don't know about you, but I I believe we need some finishers in, in the body of Christ today. We need some people that not just start out strong, but finish. We need some finishers. And, and this started with just uh, reading 2 Timothy, where Paul the Apostle said that he was coming to the end of his, uh, his life and he was getting ready to be beheaded, uh, that we believe according to church tradition. He wrote that wonderful scripture in 2 Timothy that said, I have, fin- I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And there is now a crown of righteousness laid up for me. And not only for for me, but for all of those who have, who are going to finish in the faith, in other words, is what he's saying. I don't know, I don't know about you, but I'll, I want to be one of those people that receive that crown when we get to heaven. Amen. And, and so that's what I'm thinking. That's what's in my heart. I can't wait to get to that about talking about being a finisher. So, but what I did is I went here in John chapter six, and this is one of the, the highest, uh, this is the peak of Jesus's ministry. This is where he is really building momentum in his ministry the largest crowds ever. And so Jesus begins to, there begins to be a shift in his ministry. He begins to turn around to the crowd and he begins to charge the crowd and challenge the crowd and call them out from being just spectators, from being just part of the crowd to be true believers in him. And then he takes them from being believers to followers Then he takes them from being followers to being finishers. So we're going to talk every week about being a believer, what the Bible means by by being a believer, what the scripture means about being a follower, and what the Bible means when it says to be a finisher. Are you ready? So today I want to talk to you about I am a believer. I am a believer. I think we need to really redefine or really correct our our thinking on what it means to be a believer. There are many people that say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I'm a believer. Last year, uh, I love football. That's that's why I love football, right? And uh, the seasons are changing, which is fine with me uh, because football's coming. I believe that's the only sport that God does love is football. (laughs) 
And so, um, but anyway, last year at Thursday Night Football, I was watching, they had Deion Sanders and some of the guys, the panel of men up there. And, and uh, Deion Sanders gave his heart to the Lord several years ago. You might know him as prime time. He was one of the great cornerbacks, but he had a, a serious emotional breakdown and he was even suicidal and he pulled his car over to the side of the road. He was going to take his own life, uh, but he ended up just sitting on the curb. This is a multimillionaire, very successful. This is Deion Sanders, one of the best uh, athletes out there. He played, he was so good. He played professional football and professional baseball. This dude was, and he had an ego to match, if anybody knows prime time, okay? But uh, God got a hold of his life. He didn't take his life. He, gave, he surrendered it instead of taking his life. He surrendered it to Jesus Christ, and it changed his life forever, and um, he just w- went ministering the word. He just took the low road and, and just was just saw a change in his life. But I remember watching last year on a Thursday night, I believe it was, and he began to preach a little bit. And they always told him, why do you always preach? He said, I'm not preaching. I'm testifying. I said, that's good. There's a difference between that. He's just saying, I'm testifying on what God has done. But by the end of that segment, they all held up these little signs. He held up a sign that said, I'm a believer. And he was talking about how he's, a, he's believing in one of the teams that they were playing. Maybe it was the Lions. It was an underdog team, probably the Lions. I can't remember. But he was saying, I'm a believer that they're going to win. And by the end of the segment, at the end of the game, they were all holding these little signs that said, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. And they were all chanting, I'm a believer. And Dion made this comment. He said, yeah, you might be a believer in the game, but I'm a believer in the King of Kings or something like that. He says, and they all were like holding the sign. It kind of got awkward at that moment, but it kind of got in my heart. I said, you know, we have a lot of that in our culture today. We've got a lot of people that hold up signs, don't we? I'm a believer. We wear the cross on their neck. And yes, I'm Jesus, but I want to challenge you today and say, are you really a believer? And this is what Jesus is doing right here. He just fed 5,000 people in John chapter 6 with a couple of fishes and a couple of loaves. He did one of the greatest miracles ever. How many have heard of the miracles of the fishes and loaves? I mean, it was 5,000 men. It only recorded the men. So there was easy to estimate seven, eight, nine thousand 9,000 people there. He did this wonderful miracle of just feeding the 5,000. And then after he did this miracle, he disappeared. He went down by the Sea of Galilee. Galilee. He crosses the Sea of Galilee. His disciples then follow him into these boats and they then cross over to the other side of Galilee. And so here's where we pick up the story in John chapter 6. And uh, we got it on the screen today, so you can read along with it or you can read in your Bible. I encourage you to read the whole chapter. We're going to be in it for the next couple of weeks. But, um, after he did this, as I said, he, he begins to thin out the crowd a little bit is what he's doing. And he's taking them from being 5,000 people, and he takes them by the end of chapter 6, he's down to just 12. But let me tell you something, that's the whole purpose of me bringing this series out because it's really in my heart. This, he went from 5,000, 7,000, 8,000 people to 12 people, but these 12 people changed the world. And so I said, man, we need to spend some time into here, into what God and what Jesus defined as a true believer and, and what is he recognized as being a follower and all these things. And so here we go. You ready? And it says here in John chapter six that when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and they came to Capernaum. Capernaum was his headquarters. We just took a group of us to Israel last fall and we got to go to this city in the Sea of Galilee. It was wonderful. It was awesome. Capernaum was his, Jesus's headquarters. But look at that. They came looking, seeking Jesus. Everyone say seeking Jesus. And, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? They begin to they say, Hey, when, how did you get over here? And I begin to read this, and I says, man, the God is, is already showing me something. Out of this group of 7,000, 8,000 people, there's another group of people that are starting to emerge out of the crowd. And they're called seekers. I think the very first step in becoming a true believer is first becoming a seeker. So let me say it like this. The very first thing, if you're taking notes, and all good Christians take notes, you need to write down that what Jesus, in order to become a believer, the first step is to do is to change from becoming a spectator to a seeker. 
And so these are, I don't know where the other thousands of people were. Maybe they were just chilling there on the, on the mount there and just, uh, you know, having a, just, I enjoyed the fish that this Jesus gave us. I mean, it was free food and, and that's, they didn't feel like they wanted to get into the boat. And so thousands of them were left there. But there were a group of people that began to come out of the, the crowd and begin to seek Jesus. And they took a little extra effort of getting in these boats, crossing over the sea, and now they're curious. Now they're, now they're wanting to seek this Jesus. Can I tell you that all through the word of God, there's a huge separation from the crowd, from people who just spectate and just look at Jesus and just are spectators. There's a huge difference between them and participators. You'll see it all in Jesus' ministry. He's coming into Jerusalem. You might have heard about blind Bartimaeus. There's a crowd of people, and they're all looking to see Jesus. They've heard of the wonderful stories, and they said, finally, Jesus is coming to our town, and they're so happy to see him. Here comes Jesus walking by. He's got a great multitude of people with him, and one person separates himself from the spectators and begins to cry out with a loud voice and say, Son of David! Have mercy on me. Who am I talking about? Blind Bartimaeus. He was a blind man. And the Bible says that the crowd, the spectators begin to say, hey, 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 calm down. You don't need to be so excited about Jesus. You don't need to worship so loud. You don't need to worship so much. You don't need to lift your hands. You need to just calm down and be like us. Which is dead, right? (laughs) Because the Bible says that the dead do not praise him. But anyway, it says that they begin to say, Barnabas, you need to be like, let me tell you something. Soon as you begin to become a seeker, you're going to have the crowd turn on you. Come on, somebody. Soon as you begin to step it up and say, I'm not just going to be a spectator no more. I'm going to start being a seeker. I'm going to start leaning into him a little bit more. Be ready because the crowd's going to begin to turn on you. They begin to turn on blind Bartimaeus. And the, I love it, though. The Bible says he began to cry even louder and say, son of David, where's he at? Just point me in his direction because I'm not just going to spectate no more mirror. I'm tired of seeing other people get blessed. I'm tired of seeing other people get a healing. I want my healing. I want my breakthrough. So son of David. And the Bible says this, Jesus stopped. thousands of people there but nobody could get Jesus to stop because Jesus don't stop for spectators people don't stop can you handle this today he don't stop for spectators. He says, I'm looking for some seekers. The woman with the issue of blood was, was sick for 18 years, but she didn't get her miracle until she pressed through the crowd and says, I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what they're going to say. I need my miracle. I need to touch just the hem of his garment. I'm going to be reserved today. I'm tired. Seekers. Someone say seekers. Seekers are curious people. Seekers are curious. That's when you come from being spectators to start being a little, they were a little curious to to how Jesus did this miracle. They they were curious to to how he did this. And let me tell you something, God, and there's nothing wrong being being, uh, curious. And and wanting to just get a little closer to the things of God for you to learn more about God. There's nothing God, in fact, uses methods like that for curious people. Moses was on the backside of the desert, but when he saw a bush that wouldn't burn up, but it stayed on fire, he was curious. He was curious. And there'll be people around that God will put around your life and will begin to look at you and say, how are you still standing even though you've been through that problem? How have you been? How are you even here after you've been through that divorce, through that tragedy, even though I've seen how people treat? How are you doing? So they're just curious. So they'll begin to come around your life a little bit more and say, man, I, I don't know what you got. And they're not real committed. They're not, dev- you know, real followers yet, but they're just curious. And they just want to lean in a little bit more. And the Bible says when Moses turned aside to see why the bush didn't burn, then God spoke to him from the bush. Woo. Can I preach on Labor Day this morning? I'm tired, but I feel like preaching. I'm going to be holding the mic today, driving our sound guys crazy. 
because this mic is going all over the place. The Bible says that when Moses didn't just stand there and go, oh, that's a pretty bush. It's burning. Wow. I'm watching them go to church again. There they go again, looking out of their blinds. Why do they go to church every Sunday? I turned my mic off. I just hit the button. <laughs> They're back there going. <laughs> We're going to start live recording our thing. Or not live, but start videoing these so I better act up. Okay. Or not act up. How many going to give me some grace today? You're going to have to give me some grace. I'm trying to preach this. Lord, it's so powerful message, though, man, to go from spectators, I'm telling you, to follow Jesus. But people look. And they'll, they'll watch your life. People watch me. They used to call my house when I first got saved. The week after I got saved, they would call and say, Melinda, how was he doing? Because I was such a wild partier. The last thing I would ever do is go to church. And so they knew it wouldn't last. They actually, like, I had a disease. How was he doing? And she'd say, he's doing fine. He's coming home from work every day. He's being with the kids. He's in that Bible. He's reading that Bible. He's doing good. How are you? But see, after a while, they begin to look and they go, wow, how is it that you're making it through life? How, how, is, how is it that you're, still, that you're getting blessed? How is it that even you're, you can lose, you can go through a hard time, but still you're still standing and you're still being, how, how is it that the blessing of the Lord seems to be on your life? How is it that the favor of God seems to be, you know, what's happening? God is putting you in a position to draw others out of the crowd from being a spectator to be a seeker, and he's using you to do it. So don't be discouraged when you're going through something because God is all about winning souls. I gave my heart to the Lord just right after watching my younger brother over there. Went to his, my mom and dad's house for his birthday, November, November the 4th. He was 17 years old and he had more going for him than I did at 25, married with two children. He was more blessed. He was more happy. It wasn't just material things. He had the spiritual things. He had the joy, the happiness. All I had was just anger, hate, and just messed up and just, just messed up. But I was curious. And I said, God, look at that. And the, how many know the Bible says that the goodness of God leads men to repentance? It's not all, you don't always, you know, have to be, God doesn't always use judgment. He uses the goodness of God to draw men to repentance. And I just sat there and watched him for a while. That was the last straw. That was the last thing for me. I gave my heart to the Lord the very next morning. November the 5th, 1997. It's just no, no one preaching at me, no one saying anything. Just me being able to go from spectator to now being a seeker of God. I, I want to come away from the crowd because they're really not with me anyway. Those people who I thought was with me, they're really not with me anyway. You do something wrong. You get blessed and watch them turn on you. My dad used to preach about having a bucket of crabs. He used to say, you don't have to put a lid on a bucket of crabs because as soon as one starts to crawl out, the other ones just pull them down. That's how people can be sometimes. As soon as you start getting blessed, they start pulling you down. Oh, you think you're better? And they start pulling you down. Seeker. How many want to be a seeker? Went from spectator to being a seeker. So what does Jesus say to these seekers? Now that they, they've separated from the crowd, they took the effort to get into a boat and to come out to church, and, you know, they're, they're, they're coming in the right direction. Now, Jesus has got to say something very warm and fuzzy. He's got to say something very comforting and so, so happy that you're here, and, and yeah, yeah, he pat you on the back. So what did Jesus say? This is what Jesus said to them, to the seekers. Most assuredly, I say to you that you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. <laughs> Whoa, watch this. Do not labor for the food which perishes, perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. He says, you seek me not because that, you, that you're interested in the signs or the spiritual side of me. You're only really interested in the natural things, the, how I can satisfy the little temporary problems that you have in your life. That's why you're really seeking me. Wow. 
It's not like, man, did a good job, got in these boats. You even waited in line. It's hot out here in Israel when you waited to get in these boats and, and you took the time to come all the way across the Sea of Galilee and now you're coming. No, no, no. I know. Jesus don't have time to play. I mean, Jesus gets right to the point. He said, let me just be real with you because you need to know that the heart of man can deceive yourself. So I need you to be aware of why you're even in church today. You're not coming to really because you're interested in having a relationship with me. You're just here to see if I can give you some more fishes and loaves. That's Jesus. That's why Jesus said, blessed is he who's not offended in me. What's he doing? He's trying to bring them from the natural to the spiritual. He knows they have hungry stomachs. He wants to know if they have hungry hearts. He's saying, you want to be a believer? You really want to be a believer? Then I need you to start seeking me. Not just for the natural. Yes, God can make a way to give us material things, to, to bless us with jobs, bless us in relationships, bless us in healing our bodies. Absolutely. But the Bible tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And guess what? All of these other material, physical needs will be taken care of. Jesus always prioritized the spiritual over the physical. Sometime in Mark chapter 2, there was these guys that had a friend who was crippled. He was a paralytic, paralytic, and they tried to bring him to Jesus so Jesus could physically do a miracle. But the Bible says the house was crowded. I've been to that house. I believe it's Peter's house. It's there on the Sea of Galilee. It's very small. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 2 that the, cr the crowd was in the house, outside the house, looking in the windows. It was just jam-packed, and they couldn't get their friend to Jesus. So the Bible says that they went up on the roof, and they begin to, speaking of roofing, oh my Lord, they put a big hole in the roof. Oh my gosh. I know how to re-roof that. Get Paul and Rob Sherman to come out, lead the way, and we'll follow. Come on. These guys were up there, I swear. And they're not little men. I was watching Paul walk on that roof. It was like, boom. My dogs were downstairs going, what in the world's happening? <laughs> I got two little Maltese dogs. Well, they don't stop barking. One never stops barking. Anybody want a dog? But we're walking on the roof, man, and they're, they're, they're out there. And they were so afraid. We had to take them for walks. <laughs> Almost give them a... Did they make Xanax for dogs? I don't know. Amen. Anyway, no, we did not give drugs to our dogs. Anyway, so Mark chapter 2 says that these guys brought a friend and he was crippled and they lowered him down. And Jesus is sitting down teaching and dirt just falls down. And they lower the guy down. And they lower him down. And Bible, the Bible says when he saw their faith, he looked at him and he says to the crippled man in front of everybody, he says, you're healed. Nope. He said, your sins are forgiven. Look at me. He says, your sins are forgiven. And you know who were on the front row? The Pharisees. It's amazing how the most critical people can come early to get a seat just to see what you don't do right. Come on, somebody. They were there early, just wanting to get in there and get their voice on the podcast. They just want to hear themselves so when you hear me, you hear me. And, they're just, and they were just criticizing Jesus, and Jesus knew that. And he looked at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. And the Bible says, knowing their thoughts, he looked at him and he says, which is easier for you to believe? For me to say, get up and walk? Or for me to say, your sins are forgiven? Let me just test you. If I brought a crippled person up here who has a physical disability, and I said to you, which is easier for you to believe right now in this moment? That God could heal his body or God could forgive his sins? Which would you say? We would all say probably sins, right? Because... It's a little easier to believe than someone to come out of a wheelchair. But Jesus says, but I tell you that the Son of Man have power to do both. But the reason why he forgave his sins first, because it is more important in the eyes of God of having your sins forgiven than how physically able you are able to live your life. Please get that. 
oh, oh, God sees that I'm going through this. God sees, God sees that you're going through it, but he is more concerned with the spiritual than he is with the natural. And when you really know that you're becoming a believer, then you'll start to, you'll start to prioritize the spiritual over the natural. You'll soon start to ask questions about yourself like this. How would that relationship affect me spiritually? How will that job, that new job, affect me spiritually? How will that, that entertainment that I watch or go to, I mean, it may look good, sound good, but how will that affect me spiritually? What's happening? You're becoming a believer. And not a Bieber, a believer. When, you know, he may look good, she may look good, but when you start asking yourself, how is that going to affect me spiritually? then you're starting to say, hey, I am now developing a relationship with Jesus and I'm more concerned with the spiritual uh, area of my life than I am the physical. Jesus was wanting them to see and to value the spiritual aspects of his mission more importantly than the physical aspects of his mission. Can I tell you that God can do both? But we have to prioritize to become a believer a real believer is someone who starts saying, Jesus, and read it, it's all through the word of God. The Hebrew children, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. And what did they say? They say, oh, king, I'm not bowing down to this false God because my God is able to heal me. My God is able to deliver us from the fire. But what did they say? Even if, even if he doesn't deliver the fire, I am still going to serve you. What was they doing? They prioritized the spiritual over the natural. Can I tell you, I don't, and I don't want to belittle your situation. You may be going through a real spiritual, real serious physical situation, but I want to tell you that there will be a shift that happens in your life. When you just begin to prioritize the spiritual aspects of God, the reason why you're seeking God, the reason why you're worshiping God, the reason why you're reading the word isn't so that he can do something for you, but you're saying, God, what can I do for you? How can I impact someone else's life? That's when you know when you're moving from a spectator to a seeker to a believer. And then I love this. It's not on the screen, but you can read it later. Verse 28, soon as Jesus tells them to be more spiritual, soon as he says, right, don't work for food, and he uses food, the most temporary thing that we have. I used to deliver bread for 17 years and in the grocery retail for Sara Lee bread and brownberry bread and Intamin's baked goods. Okay, I got us all hungry now. <laughs> Bagels and Thomas muffins. Anyway, and bread is, fr and man, I love to go walking into the depot in the morning because the whole place smelled like bagels, onion bagels, everything bagels. Okay, now I'm really getting you hungry. And, and the whole depot just smelled like that. Raspberry danishes. Okay, yeah. And so, but, I, but we had a shelf life. And man, we had to get them off our truck, especially when it was really hot like this. You had to get them off of your truck. Why? Because the more uh, less um, preservatives that you put into f food, the quicker it will die. The shorter the shelf life, and I'm not putting a plug in for Intamin's or Sara Lee, but that's why Intamin uh, baking goods cost much more than Hostess, just being real, or Little Debbie, because the preservatives are a lot uh, less uh, in, in those foods. Okay, Intamin's, write a check to our building fund right now in Jesus' name. I'll... <laughs> true story, but it's true, and that's why it costs a little more because they got to get it here and all this kind of stuff. But Jesus uses bread as an example to not work so hard for something so temporary. Can I drop the mic and go home now? I mean, that's worth coming out right there. Because you know what happens when you hear the word of God? Jesus starts to change your perspectives. You thought you were going through something and that you were going to get depressed over it. Now you find out God can use your, your darkest valley for the greatest triumph. What's happened? Perspective change. You thought why God said no, that it was the uh, worst thing ever, but now you find out that that thing would have affected you spiritually in a negative way, so that's why he said no. So now you're rejoicing in the fact that he said no. Perspective change. You're working so hard for just some bread. Jesus said, why are you working so hard for bread that's going to get moldy? Perspective change. And then he says to them, when he said to the crowd, which one is more important for me to heal this physical paralytic or forgive his sins? They said physical. 
He's a perspective change. Because honestly, he can die as a paralytic, but if his soul, if his sins are forgiven, he's going to get a new body. Come on, somebody. He's going to get a new body. He's not going to be crippled on them streets of gold. He's not going to be crippled when he stands in the presence of God. Whatever physical ailment you have here today, let me tell you, if God don't heal you here, he's going to heal you there. You will have two eyes that will see him, two ears that will hear that music. And let me tell you something. The music is loud in heaven. Read Isaiah chapter 6. The Bible says the doorpost shook. I don't think we got it up that loud, Steve. They had smoke and everything in Isaiah. Is it scriptural to be so loud? Isaiah 6. Revelations tells us this. I don't want to get off into that. Read your Bible. Just fall in love with Jesus. You don't complain when you go to a football game, do you? They're too hype in here. They're too excited. You see a sales at Macy's. Oh, I'm not going to run over there. I'm going to take my time. These people are getting so excited. I mean, we get all these other things in our life that we're so excited about. Let me tell you something. Get excited about Jesus. Get excited about him. Get excited about his life, what he's got for you. Perspective change. Can I do this again at 1130, Ennis? I don't know, brother. (laughs) He says, don't work so hard for food. Now, I love this. Let Let me teach you something here. He says, don't focus on the physical so much. Focus on the spiritual. So the very next verse there in 28 is they said, okay, how can we do miracles? Can you see Jesus' face? Really? They went from zero to not even believing in God to wanting to call fire down from heaven like Elijah. Isn't that how we do? You either get people that are so dead that you can't even tell they're even saved. They're so carnal. They're so turned off to spiritual things. They're, they sleep. They, they can't. They're just sold spiritually dead. We go from there to, whoa, Jesus had breakfast with me this morning and we talked. How <laughs> many know some folk like that? Just, if they're here with you, just don't leave your hand up. Amen. You have visions all the time. You know, Gabriel and Michael escorted you to the bus stop. Stop. I've been saved 21 years, and I haven't seen none of them dudes. And I come out of drugs and alcohol. I had bullets flying by me. I had you name it. I never saw one angel, but I tell you this, I know he was with me. And I'm not saying Jesus and angels don't appear. Absolutely they do. I have some friends that, and some people, some minister friends that really have had experiences like that. And the Bible does teach that beware when you entertain strangers because they can be angels. Absolutely. But Jesus, we don't need to be what I call super spiritual so that we're no earthly good. So that we won't help anybody at the Convoy of Hope event. We won't even tell our neighbor we go to church, but we'll tell everybody on Facebook how you just saw Michael and Gabriel in the morning. Perspective change. So spiritual, but we can't even be an usher or a greeter. So spiritual, but I ain't doing nothing in that church, dude. I ain't giving a dime. Just being real with you. Jesus says, man, why you do all of this? And it's for temporary things. Start living your life for spiritual meaning. Where the rust will not happen. Where the moth cannot corrupt and where the thief will not steal. And I'm going to get to that, earth, that heavenly treasure in just a moment. So they said, we want to do the miracles of God. And i got to start closing this up. So this is what Jesus drops. Jesus tells them this. Put this one up on the screen. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who sent me. In other words, who sent me. Now, that just doesn't make sense. He, first of all, he calls believing a work. I'm a believer. That's not work. It just took me five minutes to write on a little card. I'm a believer. It's not work to say I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. 90% of Americans believe in Jesus. Nine out of 10 households in America have a Bible. I don't mean to be mean, but as a pastor for 21 years, how many of them crack that Bible open? And then how many of them inhale? Come on, somebody. 
You remember that old political joke, I smoked but didn't inhale? Who was that? One of the presidents? I used to tell people that. That's what you do to the Bible. You read but you don't inhale. Man, I used to get going. You're so funny. Because I like to do that with political people. You know, you get, just mess with them. I like to talk politics, but when politics become God, I'm out. Because they said in the Bible, we have no God but Caesar. And that's who crucified Jesus. They put Jesus up and Barabbas up. And the Jewish people said, we have no God but Caesar. Whew. Come on, somebody. It's, it's, I pray for the president. Pray, he needs all the prayer he can get. Pray for every, Amen. Pray for every leader, whoever's in there. Pray for other leaders in other countries. You pray for them, but we don't emulate, imitate any of them. We imitate Jesus, the Son of God. That's who we become like. That's who we follow after. That's who we love. That's who we emulate. Jesus says, you want to do something spiritual? Don't tell me about Gabriel and Mark Michael. Don't try to do all these wonderful things that you think you need to do. You don't need to do all these works. There's one thing I want you to do is believe in God. So let me help you with that because it doesn't make sense in our English definition of believing, as I done told you, because we all believe. We all say that. And so we learn that it's more of a mental assent or a mental acknowledgement that there was a Jesus. First of all, you have to understand that Jesus didn't speak English. You don't have to know Greek to understand all the Bible, Aramaic, or any of them, but this one I think you need to understand because faith is so important. When Jesus said believe, he said the Greek word pisteo. You need to know this. One of the first words I learned as a new believer, faith and believe, because I wanted to study those two words because they're, they're synonymous and they're all through the word of God. Everything you and I get from God is going to come through faith. Do I need to teach that for an hour? Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if any man comes to God, you must believe what? That he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. So when Jesus said believe, he said the Greek word pastu. Well, I can't pronounce it, but it's a Greek word and it means to trust. Look at this, to commit. So Jesus says, you really want to be spiritual? You really want to be deep? You really want to be a great apostle? Commit to the work of God. I thought, this, I thought you were tired, Pastor Eddie. This is Labor Day. I thought you were just going to give us a scripture out of Psalms. Because commitment is what separates real believers from everybody else. Just being real. And it is work. How many going to be real with me this morning? It's work to trust God. That's why he called it a work. I'm not introducing no new theology. Jesus called it a work. In the 1800s, there was a expert trapeze man who would known for walking on tight ropes, and his name was Charles Baldwin. Baldwin, and he was known for his great. Uh, acts that he would put. He would he'd go to Niagara Falls and he would take a steel cable from the New York side and go all the way across to the Canadian side and he would walk across this tightrope in front of thousands of people. He would then get into a little potato sack and he would hop across in the, in the 1800s. He was the first guy to ever do this. He was a, an amazing man. He was a trampeze expert, but mainly a, a tightrope guy, kind of a dude. And man, thousands of people would come out. He was one of the first persons to go across Niagara Falls. Ever been to Niagara Falls? I mean, that's crazy. This man was crazy. He was even known for going halfway through, stopping and making breakfast on the tightrope. He would like, like he's making breakfast on a tightrope. Look him up. And crowds came out. But one of his most famous events was he took a wheelbarrow. And I was going to get a wheelbarrow up here. We had a couple of them yesterday all over my roof trying to get them up there and all this. And anyway, a wheelbarrow. He took a, one of his most famous events is he took a wheelbarrow. And he went all the way across the tightrope with this wheelbarrow. And then he put weight in the wheelbarrow, went back to the other side. I mean, the crowds, was, they were loving it. They were like, yeah, woo. Charles Blunden's my guy tattooed on my chest. They loved the guy. They loved him. They came out and they were just, they couldn't get enough of him. 
And but his most famous event, like I said, was that when one day he went across there and the crowds watched him, he stopped and he turned around and he said, how many of you believe that I can put a human being inside this wheelbarrow and go all the way across that tightrope? How many believe? How many believers that we have? How many believe what a wonderful name it is? Sorry, Nancy, can't get there. <clears throat> wasn't the right key. That's all that was. I believe. I believe. I believe, Charles. I believe you can do it. I believe you. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And you see my Facebook post? I put a scripture up in 2013. Don't you know that? Didn't you see I like that one scripture? I have my daily reading. I put up there every day. I don't really read it. It hits my phone. I just say share. I don't really read it. But anyway, I just put it out there. I believe. And then he looks to the crowd, and this is why it's so famous. He says, which one of you are willing to get in? That's what they did. Not one. What was he doing? He was bringing them from those who were curious to those who will be committed. That's what Jesus is doing in John chapter 6. And I want to do that to you as your pastor. How many of you are here are curious? Maybe you're a seeker. I want to challenge you this morning. How many can be a believer where you're committed? But let me finish with this. Pastor Steve, won't you come? I'm going to start to close. If you're visiting, that means absolutely nothing. <laughs> <clears throat> It's very serious, actually. I don't want to choke this up, mess this up, but this is what Jesus did. Jesus did the actual, he flipped it, than what Charles Blunden did. They saw Charles Blunden go across that. So logically, it didn't even take faith for them to say, I'll get in that. I know you can put a human in it because you just did it with all this other thing. And they still would not use a little bit of faith to commit themselves in it. When Jesus said to the crowd, you want to do a work for me? You want to do a work for God? Then commit. He said the word pisteo, so they knew what he meant. He said commit. Listen to what they said to Jesus. Then the crowd said to him, okay, we'll commit, but what sign will you perform so we may see it and then we'll commit? That was me 21 years ago. Right at the end of my rope, one of my friends was preaching to me. One of them, who I am now. You need to give your life to Jesus, Eddie. God can use you. He could turn you around. I see you ain't happy. You're drinking, but you're always thirsty. Clubbing, all that ain't never satisfying you. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Always judging me. But I knew he was right. And I said to him, I'll believe in God if he parts that sky. I actually thought, this is how dumb I can be, we can be. We can be. Don't look at me like you never said anything dumb before. You all got your holy face on this morning at 930. I know what he's talking about. I've always, I woke up in the morning speaking in tongues and floated across the living room. Me and Gabriel had tea. Thank you. I'm still offended. And I said, I really thought that if I died, I could stand before God and I can say, God, I didn't serve you because you'd, I asked you, because I was sincere when I was in jail one time. God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you. He got me out of it. Happened again, happened again, happened again. Why? Because I was, I was curious. I was starting to come over. I was the guy that, that was fishing. He, he was just excited for the fishes and loaves and Jesus was bringing me closer. He was bringing me out of that. He was saying, I don't want to just get you out of jail. I want to get you out of bondage. And so I had a little bit of taste that God has done some things for me. But my biggest one is that one night I prayed and God, I will serve you, but I want to, I want to see something. So I said this very thing. It's amazing. Didn't even know that was in the Bible, John said that very thing and you know what nothing happened and I told my friend I said if God will open that sky if he would just do something I know everybody would believe makes sense kind of don't it and he says you know what I realized something he's not going to do that because look what they said 
They said, our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. They try to quote a scripture to Jesus. Can you imagine? Like he don't know. You can get so religious. You'll start, oh, anyway. Jesus is looking at him saying, I know what it says. I wrote it. Better yet, I am the word. He said, then Jesus said to you, Moses didn't give you the bread, by the way. Perspective change. That wasn't that job that got you that check this week. Perspective change. Where'd you get your bread this week? Didn't come from that boss. Didn't come from that company. It might have been a channel, but it came from God. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. Don't you see Jesus, first of all, I believe he, he was from Galilee. Yeah, I know, I know. First of all, it, Moses didn't give it to you. Boy, I can just preach. Can I preach that for 10 minutes? Moses didn't give it to you. Came from my father. And I'm not about to do one more thing because I am the bread. Eddie, I'm not going to part the sky. I already, because I came down there myself and lived for 33 and a half years and died on a cross and rose again three days later. I'm not about to do one more thing. I'm not going to make a deal with you. I'm in heaven saying, this is the deal. You believe in me. Get in the wheelbarrow. God's looking for people. A real believer don't have to come up here and examine the wheelbarrow and examine the rope and examine the triceps on the dude. Real faith says, God, it makes no logical sense for me to trust you. Oh, they're laughing. Are they laughing? They put me on Twitter yet? Instagram, they making fun of me. He's going to church again. He's believing in that God. Because one of the most loudest, one of the most best ways that you can let everyone know that you're a believer, one of the most loudest and clearest ways is when you learn to live your life from inside the wheelbarrow. Come on, can you stand with me? God's not saying, I want you to examine the wheelbarrow. I want you to get it. Listen to this, because you'll never know if God can be trusted until you trust him. You'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. I said, you'd never know. You'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And you'll really never know that God can be trusted until him. Let me say it again until you trust him. One of the most powerful things you'll ever do is stay in that wheelbarrow when sickness comes up in your face, when temptation comes up in your face, when adversity comes up in your face. You're going to get out of wheelbarrow? I'm staying in the wheelbarrow. Why? Because I believe, because I trust him. I believe that he can carry me across. He made the universe. He made the oceans. He made the stars. He can carry me through this wilderness. He can carry me through this season. He can carry Carry me across to the other side. When you're willing to do that, and it's hard, 21 years, I've tried to get out a few times. And God, it don't make no sense. You sure you got this? Ain't that how we do that? God, I'm going to give you this need. Pastor Eddie preached it today. I'm going to start trusting you. Here it is. It's right there. It's right there, God. God. Elohim. We try to get spiritual. Got to help the Holy Ghost. God, I put that right there. God, I, God, I put it right there. And this is what we do. Well, if you ain't going to do nothing about it. You just left the wheelbarrow. Jesus goes on to say that if you will come to me, you'll never be hungry for bread again.
He found a woman down in a Samaritan woman who no one loved her because she had five marriages. She was all messed up. But Jesus went all the way out of his way at 12 noon just to meet her. And he didn't use Instead, he used water, but he tried to get her to connect the natural to the spiritual. He said, if you will drink from what I got to give you, you'll never be thirsty again. You'll never need to run to that relationship. You'll never need to run to that drug. I'll be all you need. Get in the wheelbarrow. Come on, get in the wheelbarrow. Jesus. I want you in this place. If you need to get into the wheelbarrow yourself, Maybe you don't know God. Maybe you're somewhere a, a, person, a spectator in this message. Maybe you're a seeker. That's good. But you're still not in the wheelbarrow. You're curious. It's good to be curious. Maybe you're here today and you say, I'm none of those, but I want to get into the wheelbarrow. I want to be a believer. First of all, if that's you, just lift your hand. Say, pray for me. I want to be a believer today. I re realize that I'm really not. Amen. 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 Any other hands? I pray for me today. I realize I'm not. Rest of you today, Pastor Eddie, I got some things in my life I need to put in that wheelbarrow because I'm carrying them in their heart. And I know some of you, in the, I know you in this church, some of you are carrying some very hard things right now. Let me tell you today, Put it in a wheelbarrow. How many's ready to put it in a wheelbarrow? Come on, lift your hands to him right now. And I want you just to mentally right now picture yourself putting that load into that wheelbarrow. Putting that burden into that wheelbarrow. Putting that in the, into his wheelbarrow. Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you in this place. I'm going to trust you with this situation. I'm going to trust you with this whole problem I got. It's yours. Putting it in a wheelbarrow. Putting this marriage in the wheelbarrow. I'm putting my singleness barrel. I'm putting this addiction in the wheelbarrow. I'm putting this anxiety in the wheelbarrow. Come on, I'm putting this depression in the wheelbarrow. Come on, what do you got this morning? Put it in the wheelbarrow. I'm putting this thing I got going on in the wheelbarrow right now. In Jesus' name. So repeat this after me. Say, Father God, thank you for your word. I have heard it today. And I give you my problems. I give you my issue. Go ahead, tell them what it is. If you want to tell them what it is, go ahead, tell them. I'll give it to you. Come on, give it to a loved one that's not serving the Lord, a marriage. Come on, say it. Say it to them. Don't worry about the person next to you. It's between you and God. I give it to you. I give you this addiction. I give you this, this depression. I give you this thing right now in Jesus' name. Tell them. Tell them. It's your prayer. Give it to you, Lord. And then say this. Say, Lord Jesus, help me to keep it in the wheelbarrow. Help me to stay in the wheelbarrow in Jesus name I just lift those hands to him again right now if you don't have them up right now Lord I pray over this church thank you for this crowd that's here this morning Labor Day weekend but God I thank you for this message this is just the beginning of what you're going to do you're bringing us from being a spectator to being a seeker and then you're bringing us from those that are seekers to be believers we're not curious we're going to be committed father i pray for every person here today that's got their hands up god help us to keep those hands committed to that plow and not look back and not look to the left not look to the right but to stay committed to the work that you have given us in jesus name. thanks for listening we trust that god has spoken to you through today's message if you would like to know more about our church or if you would like to help support the ministry, please go to www.rol-ag.org. River of Life Assembly of God, a church of His presence, His promises, and all people.